0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with our sermon this morning, I would invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. I'll read the verses 17 through 30. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi? Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then if you would turn to Psalm 113, that's our text for this morning. There are many who find it interesting that the Lord Jesus with his disciples sang a hymn after celebrating the Passover. And very likely, that hymn came from this section of the Bible, from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. It was known as the Halal. That's what the Jews would always sing after the Passover. And so it's very likely that the disciples, along with the Lord Jesus, sang these words together after celebrating that first Lord's Supper. So Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over the nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one enthroned on high? who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust, and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of their people. He settles the barren woman in her home, as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, The account of the Lord's Supper, the first Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, is a well-known passage, and well it should be, since it's one of the few passages in the New Testament that give us insight into the sacrament that we are celebrating this morning. Of course, we know a lot about the Lord's Supper, but there are not that many passages that reveal to us what it is that we are doing in the Lord's Supper, but Matthew 26 is one of them. But there's this curious piece in verse 30 that's piqued the interest of more than a few Bible readers and scholars when it says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. A hymn. What was that hymn that they read, that they sang together? Well, those who are familiar with Jewish customs and with the Jewish writings of the day know that what was customarily sung after the Passover was the halal. Halal is the Hebrew word for praise, praise God. And the halal was composed of Psalms 113 to 118. It was also known as the Egyptian halal because of its connection with Passover from the Lord's deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt. And so at the very first occurrence of the Lord's Supper, at its institution, Jesus and his disciples might very well have sang together the words of our text this morning, Psalm 113. And that would have been very fitting. It would have been very fitting because this song, this psalm, is a psalm of praise. It's a song that speaks and exhorts God's people to praise in the highest terms. It begins with a a threefold exhortation to praise. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And it calls on people to praise both now and forevermore. To praise without ceasing. To praise without paying any attention to the time at all. Praise God continually. And that's striking if you think about it for a moment. Since the ebb and flow of one's life certainly includes times when it's easy to praise the Lord, when there are good things for which you want to praise the Lord, times of happiness and gratitude for all that the Lord has given you. But there will also be times of despair, times of depression, times of struggle and hardship, and even, as the last verse of the psalm says, even times of barrenness and infertility. But even then, the psalmist says, praise the Lord. Your praise will sound different. It will be different. It it might take more time. It might take more reflection. It may be an act of faith just to form those words of praise on your lips. But we should always, the psalmist says, praise the Lord, both now and forevermore, we who are servants of the Lord. Verse 1. Because, as the psalmist says at the end of the first verse, the Lord, the name of the Lord, is to be praised. God must be praised because God must be praised. That is, it's always appropriate for us to praise God because God is God and He does not change. He is the Lord. He is that name that is above every name, the name of the Lord, the name Yahweh. Yahweh, the word used there in verse 2, let the name of the Lord, let the name of Yahweh be praised, is God's personal name. It's the name that speaks about God's covenant faithfulness and His abiding love with His people. It's a name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush when He said, I am. As God committed Himself to saving His people, He revealed His name to them so that they could find courage and confidence. I am who I am, is what He said to them. I will never change. He was faithful before. He is faithful now. And He will be faithful forever. His steadfast love continues forever forever. Great is His faithfulness, and we could pile on words from Scripture that would speak about this faithful and steadfast love of the Lord forever. Words that speak of His majesty and glory as He sits enthroned on high. But the psalmist puts it in comprehensive terms and makes it immediately applicable to us. The name of the Lord is to be praised. How great is the Lord? He's worthy to be praised. How do we respond to the Lord? The name of the Lord is to be praised. As we come to the table of the Lord this morning, we come with praise. And as we leave, we go with praise. It was fitting that the disciples would sing this first halal song after the first Lord's Supper. When the Lord Jesus showed his disciples what would come, that he would be the Passover lamb for them. That God would reveal the extent of his faithfulness in sending his own son to the cross. Jesus showed to them the greatness and the nearness of the Lord. And so they praised. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so it's fitting for us this morning to reflect on this Psalm and to hear its message proclaimed. And it's also fitting to do this because this last week, Thursday, was Ascension Day. So we celebrate, we will celebrate that this afternoon in a more focused way as I'll be preaching on Ascension passage from Philippians. But we also celebrate that this morning in the Lord's Supper. Psalm 113, gives to us a picture of the place of glory to which the Lord Jesus ascended when He left His disciples, and to what He is doing there at the right hand of God. So bringing all together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, and as we remember the ascension of our Lord, we praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for His greatness and for His nearness. So we praise the Lord for His greatness. The greatness of the Lord we've already spoken about because it comes up in that first exhortation to praise in verse 1. The name of the Lord is to be praised. And the psalmist continues to speak about this truth in the verses 4 through 6 of our psalm. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. God is in control and rules over all people all over the world. It's not that He's just the the God of a, a small little nation in the Middle East. He is their God in a special way. But He is the God who rules over the whole world. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. God is so great that His glory is even, the psalmist says, above the heavens. Now in Scripture, heaven is often spoken about as the dwelling place of God. You can think of Isaiah 66 verse 1, heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. But here the psalmist is pointing out that even in heaven, even among the powerful angels, those mighty beings who perfectly do God's will, God is glorified. He is not equal with the mighty angels and all their hosts. He stands above them. It's like Solomon said in that great prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, the heavens... Even the highest heavens cannot contain you. God is great. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. When you struggle to to, des- to find a way to describe the greatness and the majesty of something, then you reach for re- rhetorical questions to show how the that one that you're describing is greater than all the others. And that's what the psalmist does here in verse 5. Who is like the Lord our God, who sits enthroned on high? And the answer, of course, is no one. No one. Well, this was true in the days of the Old Covenant, in the days of Israel in which this psalm was penned. But for us who have the fuller revelation of Jesus Christ, we have the same question we have the question, you could say, fulfilled. Who is like the Lord Jesus Christ, ascended and enthroned at God's right hand? Who has humbled himself in such a profound way, taking the form of a servant, of a man? Who has shown such a love and mercy and grace as he who walked the land of Israel? Who has given Himself over to such shame and scorn in such a shocking and terrible way on the cross? Who has suffered such wrath and judgment? Who has died such a death? Who has risen victorious over the grave? Who has been vindicated by the Father and given that place of honor might, and power at the right hand of God in heaven? Who communes with us at his table today? Who is like the Lord, our God, ascended and enthroned on high? God the Father stooped down to look upon the heavens and the earth. He saw the corruption, the sinfulness, the pain, the suffering, and so he sent his son to die, to free us from the chains of sin, to free us from death. His body was broken. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Who is like the Lord our God, enthroned on high? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God for His greatness. And praise God for His nearness. For His nearness which climaxes in Jesus Christ. When we know Jesus Christ, then we can understand the verses 7, 8, and 9 in a more deep and profound way. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. Jesus Christ brought us from our rebellion, from our hopelessness, from our despair, and He restored us to Jesus, to, to God the Father in heaven. Not only that, but even as He ascended into heaven, He took with Himself our own flesh and blood to sit at the right hand of God. We have our mediator in heaven giving poor and needy people like us a place of honor. Giving us a place before the right hand of God. Giving us the ear of God the Father in heaven. Verse 8. He seats them with princes. With the princes of their people. He seats us with princes? No. This morning we sit at the Lord's table. We have fellowship with the one who is exalted over the nations, the one who sits enthroned on high. The Lord comes to us with breads of, with gifts of bread and wine, bread to sustain us and wine to delight us. Let us go to Him in faith and trust in all that He is in His majesty and glory, all that He is in His closeness and care. He settles the barren woman in her home as the happy mother of children. For the Israelites, barrenness was an extremely difficult trial. They really valued having children. Children were a rich blessing. And so barrenness was extremely difficult. But we also value children as a rich blessing. And so barrenness, infertility continues to be a very difficult trial for many of you. The joy of having children would be incredible. Well, let me ask you this morning, do you think that all the barren woman who praised the Lord with Psalm 113, who knew His grace And praised him for it. Received the children that the psalmist speaks about. I don't really think so. So what's the point of this verse? Why say he settles the barren woman in her home as the happy mother of children? I think the psalmist is saying, You know that experience? When a barren woman, one who was thought to be barren, is able to have a child? Do you know that blessed experience? Do you know that, that feeling, that blessedness from the Lord? That's the blessedness that God will give to you. And in Jesus Christ, He has done that and more. Through Christ, God lifts you up and gives you joy in His presence, joy beyond anything. In this world. For you that suffer from barrenness in this life. For you who are poor. Who are afflicted. For you who are needy. Who lack the good things in this life. God will give you a place of honor and privilege. And tremendous blessing in the life to come. Why? Because God is near. God has compassion on the brokenhearted. Because God, because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Come to the table of the Lord this morning, in your brokenness, in your weakness, and receive the food and drink of life eternal through faith in Jesus Christ, Receive the blessedness of the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Praise the ascended Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web